Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here worshiping with you this morning. We're going to be studying chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34. You can go ahead and start turning there in your copy of God's Word. It's also printed in the bulletin on page 11. Well, it's very easy for us to worry about our life. We spend a lot of time worrying, being anxious. Will I have enough? Will I be enough? What if I lose my job? Or what if someone steals all my life savings? There's lots of things that we can worry about. How do we deal with worry? Do we follow the saying that says, don't worry, be happy? Well, it'd be nice, except we can't just turn on and off worry. If we could, we would always turn it off, right? We can't just flip a switch and no longer worry. Some try to quiet worry and anxiety by filling their bodies with food or with drugs or with alcohol, trying to numb the anxious voices in their heads. This might work for a limited time, But when those things wear off, the voices come back even stronger and louder than before the binge. What does the Bible say about worry and anxiety? Does God care enough about us to address our worry? Does the Bible address it? Well, we're going to see today in this chapter, this section of Luke 12, that God does address worry. Jesus is going to explain how God the Father is a good and loving Heavenly Father who does care for His children and cares for us so much that He addresses our worry and the things that we worry about. So follow along as I read Luke 12, 22-34 and see what Jesus says about worry. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They they have neither storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no 
no thief approaches, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word. So the big idea of this passage today is that God cares for his children and enjoys giving them eternal treasure. God cares for his children and enjoys giving them eternal treasure. God cares for his children and enjoys giving them eternal treasure. We're going to take this passage in two main chunks. The first one is verses 22 to 31, and then the second part is verse 32 to 34. I want to take the main point in those two, those two chunks there. God cares for his children is number one. And number two is God enjoys giving eternal treasure. Before we dive in, let's look at what's going on. Where are we in this passage? We see in verse 22 that he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, therefore I tell you. Now the previous section of Luke 12, we saw multiple times Jesus saying, I tell you, I tell you. He was warning his disciples of things, to, to watch out for certain things. And directly before this passage, Jesus is answering a man from the crowd. The man had asked a question about inheritance. And Jesus responded with a parable about a greedy man. This man thought he would be satisfied with the things of the world, with the treasures of this life. And God said to watch out, that we would not be satisfied with the things of this world, but we would be rich toward God. So Jesus was addressing that man in, in the passage previous to this one. And here he turns back to his disciples. It says he's talking to his disciples. These are his followers, people who believed in him. But he's doing this in the context of a larger crowd. There's crowd gathered around as well. So he's speaking to his followers directly, but it's in earshot. It's available for others to hear also. So let's look closely at what Jesus says to his disciples in this passage. Starting verse 22, we see, number one, God cares for his children. God cares for his children. Jesus says to them, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious about two areas. The first one is about your life, and that refers to what you will eat, sustaining of life. And the second one is about your body, what you will put on, the clothes that you will wear. The food and clothing are two of our basic needs. We must have food to live. If we don't have food, we will die of starvation. We also need clothing. Without proper clothing, in the cold, we would die of exposure. And clothing also covers our bodies. It covers up our nakedness, our shame. It would be shameful to walk around without clothes on. It's interesting that Jesus talks about these two things, food and clothing, because they appear in Genesis 3, at the original sin. What happens? when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. They're eating food that God forbid them to eat. He said, don't eat food of this tree. And then what do they immediately do? They realize they're naked. 
they have shame and they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. So I find it interesting that this original sin is related to do these two things that Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about. And we see that God cared for Adam and Eve in the garden. He still provided food for them. They, they were kicked out of the garden, but they still survived. We're evidence of that they say they survived. And God also covered them. He took the skin of animals and covered them rightly, imaging that he would cover their shame eventually, completely, not just with clothing and with skin, but with the death of Jesus covering their ultimate shame. So these disciples apparently have not moved past this original sin of being concerned with food and with clothing, with covering of the shame. And you know what? We have not either. We spend a lot of time concerned with the provisions of life. We may know where our next meal comes from, but we still consider, we still worry, we're still anxious about how are we going to provide we're anxious about food. We're anxious about clothing. Jesus continues in verse 23 where he says, For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So this is one reason to not be anxious. is to realize there's more going on here than just finding food and just covering up. You know, there's many animals that spend their whole lives searching for food. They find food, and immediately they eat it, and they're looking for the next meal. That's what they must do to survive. And there may have been many people listening to Jesus here that were in a similar situation. They would work all day. They would get paid one day's wages. They would buy enough food for that day, go to bed, and do it all again the next day. Or a lot of the people could have been farmers as well where they worked all year and they would harvest crops one time in, the, in that year. And those crops needed to last them the whole year. Imagine their worry if there was not quite enough, or wondering if there would be enough to last the year. But Jesus speaks into this context and tells them to not worry. There's more going on here. There's more in this life than just food. There's more to our bodies than just clothing. The Apostle Paul would later speak about these two things. He spoke about life in Galatians 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then Paul also talks about the body in Romans 12, 1. He tells Christians to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So our life is not just for food, it's for living for Christ. And our bodies are not just for clothing, but they're to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. So the message from this verse, verse 23, is to, to look around. There's more going on than just sustaining life and collecting possessions. Jesus continues to illustrate this point in verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. 
How much more value are you than the birds? This is the second time recently that God has compared us to birds, saying we are much more valuable than birds. But Jesus says here to consider in verse 24. He also says the same thing in 27 that we'll look at, look at soon. So as we look around, as we look up and realize there's more to this life than just food and possessions, then we look and see the raven. Now the ravens were the type of bird that, that they were not beautiful and sweet sounding. Ravens were all, they're all black. They're kind of like pirates. They're they're kind of dirty birds. They, they eat other animals. They eat trash. They, whatever they could find that resembles food, that's what they eat. They would have been considered unclean by the people listening to Jesus. They were repulsive. And yet, verse 24 says, yet God feeds them. So if God cares for his creation, and then he takes care of the unclean and the unattractive birds... Jesus' point is, how much more will he take care of his image bearers? And of course, he takes care of his people if he cares for his creation in this way. Jesus continues talking about the things that we worry about in 25 and 26. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Then if you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? We can worry so much. We can be so anxious, but we cannot change the length of our life, even by an hour. This shows that our worry is actually worthless. Our anxiety does not add anything to our life that's beneficial. This is summed up in Psalm 127. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early or go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. The anxiety, the stress, this anxious toil is not helpful. It doesn't change anything. And then look what Jesus says next in 27. He says again, consider, this time consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So again we see, consider. We're considering the lilies, the flowers of the field. Flowers are beautiful. Jesus says that not even the great and glorious King Solomon looked as rich and amazing as these flowers look in the field. We read about Solomon's glory in the scripture reading earlier. It's printed in your bulletin. We can see that he was the most amazing king in Israel's history. And yet Jesus is saying even the, the one flower in the field is arrayed more beautifully than Solomon in all his glory. So why do we consider the grass and the flowers? When we think about it, is it really necessary that the grass has flowers? It might be related to a, a 
botany side, I don't really know. But I, I think God could have made the grass to survive without beautiful flowers. But God chose to clothe the grass in this beautiful way. And the point is that if God cares enough to clothe the grass with beautiful flowers, then how much more does God care for his children? If he cares about his creation, then of course he cares for his image bearers. He cares for his own children. Now look at the end of verse 28. Jesus says, O you of little faith. Now at first, this could sound like a judgment. This phrase is used other places in the Gospels. And it is more of a judgment in those places. But I think here it is meant to be encouraging. Jesus' disciples have a little faith. Right now, it's a small amount. They believe Jesus at his word. But they don't fully understand what it means to follow him. That's what they're learning. That's what Jesus is teaching them. But even with this small amount of faith, God still cares for them. God still loves them. So if we read that last part again, 28, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? How much more will he clothe those of little faith? He cares for us even if we have a small faith, even if our faith feels small to us. Now Jesus summarizes his point in verse 29 and 30. He says, And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So Jesus drives home this point of not worrying and not being anxious about food and possessions. He says that everybody everywhere worries about these things. Those who worry about these things are like the world. The world worries about this. We have a global pandemic of worry and anxiety. Now the last half of verse 30 is super important. Look there again. It says, and your father knows that you need him. This is meant to be encouraging. God knows what his disciples need. He's not waiting for them to ask. He already knows. And he knows better than they do what they need. So as we understand and we see that God knows what they need, look at verse 31. Jesus said, instead, so instead of seeking the things that the world seeks, says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So we seek God's kingdom instead of worrying and seeking those provisional needs. Rather than pursuing and having our first priority being food and drink and clothing, possessions, glory, Jesus says to pursue and to strive after the things of God. That's what it means to seek his kingdom, is to seek the things of God. And then he gives a promise, and these things will be added to you. These things refer to the things that God's children need. So the things that we need, that God knows about, as we seek the things of God, God provides what we need. 
So there's four ways that we can apply this to our lives. There's four ways that God's children can fight worry and anxiety. There's probably more than four ways. There's four ways from this passage that we see. God's children fight worry and anxiety. But before we jump into that, I want to clarify who are God's children. Some people use the term today that we are all God's children. This is meant to include every person everywhere. But the Bible is clear that there's a distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not. The distinction is not between race of Jew and Gentile. It's not between male and female. The distinction that the Bible makes between people is whether they are in Christ, whether they are believers in Jesus, or they are not. So those who are children of God, when I speak of God's children, those who would call God Father from this passage, this is people who are Jesus' disciples, those who have believed in Jesus as their Savior. So friends, don't miss this important truth. The comfort and promises from this passage are for the true children of God, for those who have been born again into God's family. To be born again is to be born spiritually, to go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive by the grace of God. A child of God is one who has converted from darkness to the light by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you're not sure of your conversion, if you have not repented of sin and believed in Jesus, then don't consider fighting anxiety or building up eternal treasure that we're going to look at later. The first step is to put your faith in Jesus. If you have questions, please talk to me, talk to Luke, or any other members of WSBC. We would love to talk to you more about it. Now, let's discuss the four ways that God's children fight worry and anxiety. The first one is to look outside yourself. Look outside yourself. We get this from verse 23. Verse 23 says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. It's the idea there's, there's more things going on than just our little world in front of us. If we are so consumed with what's in front of us, we are going to miss what God has for us. We're going to miss that there's things going on outside of us. Often we're anxious and we're worried because we're looking and focused on our problems. We're thinking about the stuff we're responsible for or whatever's right in front of us. Maybe you feel like you're worried all the time, but you don't make time and don't have time to spend with your fellow church members or people from this gathering. You don't have a, a community around you that's encouraging you in your walk and faith with the, and faith in the Lord. So I encourage you, hang out with other people. Hang out with people from church. Ask questions about how they're doing. Listen to what's going on in their lives. You might find that their problems are bigger than yours. And it might be at least encouraging. It might be encouraging then to meet with people, to see that their problems are similar or maybe bigger than your problems. The second thing we do. So the first thing is to look outside yourself. 
The second is to consider God's care for his creation. Twice in the passage, Jesus says, consider. Once in verse 24, and once in verse 27. We should consider. And this consideration is of the raven and the lily, and the flowers. So we, we should consider God's care for his creation. Now to consider is to think about, or to dwell on, to meditate on. And when we think about it, the point of both of these considerations that Jesus makes is that we, as God's people, are more important than the rest of creation. We can see this from Genesis, when God created man. God created man differently than he did the rest of creation. He was very deliberate and specific to make man in his image. And so we are more important than the birds and the flowers. But yet God still cares for the rest of creation. We're reminded of this when we see a bird or flower. So when you see those, those are actually treasures in Shanghai. If you see a bird or a flower, be reminded that God cares for his creation. When, it's sun, when there's sunshine outside, we're reminded of God's care for his creation. Even when it rains, we can be reminded that God is providing a drink of water for plants and animals and for the earth. God is caring for his creation, and how much more does he care for his people? So the second way we fight worry and anxiety is to consider God's care for his creation. Thirdly, fight worry and anxiety by remembering that God knows what we need. God knows what we need. And he knows better than you do. If you go to a restaurant, you sit down to eat, the waiter comes by and asks, what can I get for you? He doesn't know what you need or what you want. You walk into a business, they ask, how may I help you? They don't know what you need or what you want. But God doesn't need to ask these questions. He knows what we need and what we want. So remember that God knows what you need. And then lastly, number four, above all, seek a deep relationship with your Heavenly Father. Seek a deep relationship with your Heavenly Father. Jesus came to the earth to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. So by seeking the kingdom of God, we should seek to know and to love God with all our hearts. The kingdom of God is Jesus and his arrival. So as we seek the kingdom of God, that is to seek God himself, to know him. God must be our first priority. That's why this one is above all. We seek this relationship. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So, this is saying we don't want to be anxious, but we do want to be praying and asking and thanking God. We want to develop and seek this deep relationship with Him. Now, this is related to the point just above. I said, remember that God knows what we need. This does not mean we don't ask Him. We still ask God what we think we need. God develops, as we develop this relationship with him, as we seek this deep, deep relationship, he starts to develop our understanding of our own needs. 
At first, we might ask God for a better job. Later, we might understand that God has put us in the job we have, and we start to ask him to work in the lives of people around us and use us as he does that. Now, as we seek this deep relationship with our Heavenly Father, a few practical ways we can, a practical way we can do this is to be concerned with the things that God is concerned with. We mature when our desires and our concerns begin to match God's desires and His concerns. So, for example, we want to be concerned with our own righteousness. We want to desire righteousness, that we would live rightly before God. We should be concerned with discipleship, that is, making disciples. God has called us to make disciples of other people, helping them to follow Jesus. We want to be concerned with fellowship, fellowship with other believers, the membership of a church. And we want to be concerned with communing with God through prayer. It says praying to him and knowing him through prayer. Another concern is the concern for the lost. It's God's desire that all men would come to repentance. We want that to be our desire as well. And we also want to have we also have the same concern as God when we have a concern for His Word. When we have passion for God's Word to be understood and explained well, then we are maturing in our relationship with the Lord. So these four ways, God's children fight worry and anxiety by looking outside yourself. Consider God's care for His creation. Remember, God knows what you need. And finally, seek a deep relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now, this is not a guarantee that we will never be hungry or we will never be naked or ashamed. Now, verse 30 says that your Father knows, your father knows that you need them. So God knows what we need, but it doesn't guarantee He's going to give us everything that we want. We're going to see in just a moment in verse 32 that it's God's good pleasure to give the kingdom. But the path to the kingdom for Christians will probably include struggle and difficulty in this life. And it might even include starvation and shame or nakedness. The Apostle Paul is an example of this. He experienced both of these things, starvation and nakedness. But what did he say? He said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He has everything he need. He had everything he needed. He knew that God was giving him what he needed, even though that path to eternal glory included starvation and nakedness. So this brings us to our second point today. We've looked at how God cares for his children. I want to look at how God enjoys giving eternal treasure. God enjoys giving eternal treasure. Verses 32 to 34. 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief, no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think verse 32 is a very key verse for us today. 
it's meant to be tremendously comforting and encouraging. Soak in the words. Write it down on a piece of paper and carry it with you and read it throughout the day. Let's look at verse 32 again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus starts with fear not. This goes along with the section earlier in this chapter, verses 4 to 7, where Jesus talks about a proper fear of the Lord, that we should fear God and not man. And when we fear God rightly, we do not have to be afraid of condemnation because he loves us and cares for us. So he says, fear not. And then he calls the disciples little flock. This is a sign of of love, of kindness, endearment toward them. He's not judging them for being few in number or putting them down for having a small faith. He calls them little flock as he is the good shepherd of God's people. And that includes us as well. We are God's little flock and Jesus is our shepherd. And Jesus says that God is pleased to give them the kingdom. It's interesting that in verse 32, it says the disciples should seek God's kingdom. I'm sorry, 31. 31 says seek his kingdom. And then in 32, it says it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. These two are connected. If you're taking notes, draw an arrow between seek his kingdom and give you the kingdom. God enjoys giving eternal treasure, giving this kingdom. There's hope in the seeking. As we seek, it's not an impossible task. God has made this so that when we seek his kingdom, he gives the kingdom. I've been married long enough to know, to learn that my wife enjoys receiving flowers from me, especially if I have not done something wrong. She enjoys receiving these flowers because it makes her feel loved. She recognizes and can see that I love her. And I know that it pleases her, and it brings me joy to please her. If I know how to please my wife in this way by bringing her flowers, it's important that I know this. I had to learn this as a married man. And here we get to see a glimpse of what pleases our Father in heaven. Jesus is telling us what pleases God. And what pleases him? It pleases him to give the kingdom. God loves sharing himself with his disciples who pursue him, who are seeking him. So Jesus continues in verse 33 to tell his disciples how to apply this message to their lives. Look at verse 33. To sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So it says, give away your earthly treasure and invest in heavenly treasure. Interesting in verse 34, uh, 32, God, it's God's pleasure to give the kingdom. And then immediately in verse 33, Jesus says, give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Just as God is generous with giving the kingdom, we are called as God's followers to be generous in what we have, in our possessions. Jesus wants his disciples to be tied to, to be invested in an eternal treasure in him, rather than being invested 
and tied to the temporary treasure of this world. That's why he tells them to sell their possessions. This is not a call to be irresponsible by taking on poverty or by being lazy. There's other places in the Bible that condemn laziness and not providing for the family. But we must take caution here that we do not use the excuse of being responsible with storing too much, with keeping too much, and not being generous. It's helpful, too, to know what are we investing in. If we're investing in eternal treasure, what do we know about this eternal treasure? Let's look at the passage. There are a few things that stick out. We know that it's stored in money bags that do not grow old. The, what is storing the treasure even lasts forever. This treasure is stored in the heavens, and it does not fail. So it won't run out or become worthless. There are some countries in the world where you can be a millionaire today because their currency is almost worthless. That's a sad state. But that's not what happens to the treasure that God provides. It says, too, where no thief approaches, it cannot be stolen. It's completely secured and secured by God. And then finally, no moth can destroy. It means this treasure is timeless. It's imperishable. The apostle Peter, who would have been there and listened to Jesus' words, wrote in the book of 1 Peter. He told Christians who are born again that they are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's echoing Jesus' words here in 1 Peter 1 of this inheritance, this eternal treasure. Now Jesus concludes this section in verse 34, where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our treasure, what we treasure, reveals our heart. What we hold most important shows where our heart really is. This call to sell possessions and give to the needy is a call to reorient our focus and our hearts on God's kingdom and our, our future inheritance in heaven, the future treasure, rather than on earth. So where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Are you generous? Or do you keep and collect and hold on to possessions? Do you tend to give like God gives generously? Or do you tend to hold on to things and to hoard? To hoard means to collect or to keep more than is necessary, more than is needed. Hoarding is opposed to generosity. It's full of worry and anxiety. So when we're anxious about the future, we run the, run the risk of hoarding money and possessions, keeping for ourselves what God might have for us to give and might want for us to give away. So I challenge you, pray and ask God, how much is enough? How much should I be saving? Am I hoarding? Do I have too many possessions? Does God want me to be generous with the things that I have? And what does it look like to invest in eternal treasure with your current resources? 
How can you use your time and your money now to invest in this eternal treasure? Well, this morning we've looked at the words of Jesus that bring comfort to the children of God. We can see that God is a good and loving Heavenly Father who cares for His children and that He enjoys giving us good things. As I conclude today, I want to say that don't let this be the end of the considering of Jesus' words here. Don't end the conversation here, but actually start it. Process Jesus' message over lunch today or meet with someone this week and have coffee and talk about these words of Jesus. There's a couple of questions that I have for you. You can write these down. It might be helpful as you meet with people and as you talk about this message. The first one is, is worry and anxiety a sin? To be helpful, look at this passage and consider, is it a sin to be anxious and to worry? And secondly, what does it look like? What does it look like to invest in eternal treasure? What does it look like to invest in eternal treasure? Sisters, brothers, seek the kingdom without worry. For it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Let's pray. Dear God, your goodness to us is beyond words, beyond comparison. Help us, God, to seek and to know you, our wonderful Heavenly Father. Lord, for those here who are not yet your children, please bring them into your family. Please save them, God. We desire them to be brothers and sisters with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.